What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today, I have a very special guest for you here today. Uh, we have um, Bob Berg. Now, Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and podcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with a total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann itself, has sold over 950,000 copies, and it's been translated into 28 languages. His and John's new parable in the Go-Giver series is the Go-Giver Influencer. Now, Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that amount of money that one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Fur Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his town, Jupiter, Florida. And I recently listened to his book on Audible. Uh, the Go-Giver was it's really short, really to the point, easy to listen to and uh, so much value in there. So I'm super excited to have Bob Berg here to uh, really give some wisdom about the book. Bob, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure, Greg. Great to be with you. I love the work you're doing. And thanks for that very kind introduction. Wow. Yeah, most definitely. So Bob, kick us off here, man. What's, what's the premise of the book um, itself? Well, you know, it's a parable, so it's a story, and uh, co-authored with John David Mann, who's a wonderful writer. I'm much more of a how-to kind of step one, step two, step three guy, so it was a fun collaboration with such a brilliant guy. Uh, the basic premise, Greg, is simply that shifting your focus, and this is, is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And now when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way of conducting business, a more fulfilling way, it's the most financially profitable way as well. Not for some way out there, woo-woo type of magical, mystical reasons. It actually makes very logical sense, very rational sense when you think about it. After all, when you're that person who's able to take your focus off of yourself and place it on the other person, uh, discovering how to fulfill their needs, their wants, their desires, helping them solve their challenges, helping bring them closer to happiness, people feel good about you. People wanna get to know you, they like you, they trust you, they, they want to be a part of your life, they wanna be a uh, part of your, your business, they wanna refer you to others. You know, you think about it, uh, nobody's going to buy from you because you need the money, right? They're not going to buy from you because you want the sale. They're not even going to buy from you because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And in the free market-based environment, which most of us operate, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to buy from anyone else, okay? So in that type of, of context, the only way they're buying from you is because you've been able to effectively communicate why it's in their best interest to do so. And you know, that's the only reason why anyone should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. This is good news. It means that if you're that young entrepreneur who comes at it within what we call other 
focus, right? Most people have that I focus or me focus. When you have that other focus where you are absolutely laser focused on making their lives better, well, now you've created that what we call benevolent context for your success. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, I went to this business conference recently and there's a man named Pete Vargas who was speaking and he talked about the book Go-Giver first thing to put Did he really? That's yeah. so nice. Thank you. Yeah, first person to put that on my radar and he directly applied it and this guy is very well connected and he really made the sincere effort to go above and beyond to make sure that the people who hosted the event were all taken care of. And, and of course this guy got invited to go speak again and formed and had those even more deeper, powerful connections. Now, one thing that I can see is some people can feel like, well, if I give, 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 like, wouldn't somebody, wouldn't people, take advantage of you at a certain point. So where do you find like that, that line in terms of giving and also, you know, receiving? Yeah. So it's a great question. And the, so the first thing, and I think this is what's so very important to, to understand about, about the go-giver way or philosophy or, or whatever we would call it is that there's nothing congruent between being a go-giver and being a doormat or being a martyr or being self-sacrificial. It's simply understanding that to the degree you provide value to others, that's the degree you create that context for success. Now, if you're, if you're doing business with someone who would be the opposite of a go-giver, what we call a go-taker, right? And that person just trying to get as much as that. Well, there's a couple things. One, obviously, if they're dishonest or lying or cheating, well, you just you don't do business with them. I mean, that's how, but let, but that's not always the case. There are people who are go takers. Okay. They're going to try to get everything they can from you and give the least value to you and so forth, but they're, they're not Ill, doing anything illegal, just the way they do business. They don't have that same philosophy of, of win-win and everyone. Okay. So what you do is you make sure, you know, you stay uh, above, above this, you create, you know, create value at every turn you do, but you also, you're careful. You also tread lightly. You make sure that you're aware that this person pushes the envelope, that this person sometimes demands things that are not part of the agreement. And you've got to be able to tactfully and diplomatically uh, respect your own boundaries. Okay. So again, there's times when, and you know, obviously you want to get to a point in your business where if, where you don't, where you choose to not even do business with these types either. But right now, that's not always possible, okay? And and there are people who, again, and it doesn't mean they're bad people. Uh, they just might be, you know, have that feeling like, well, no, if I'm paying them for this, I want this, this, that, and it's above and beyond. So we've got to know what our limits are, and we've got to respect those boundaries, and we've got to be able to effectively communicate those. Absolutely. You know, that's definitely some a, a big challenge that I've had in my life, specifically, like being the, the a doormat. And being able to effectively place up those boundaries, but also still having that that giving spirit, sure. Um, and not, you know, even even if you do get taken advantage of, like not even taking it like, oh, like giving is bad. It's just that may be right. a particular instance. You know, you make a, a great point here. And, and first of all, at some time in our life, we're all going to get taken advantage of because we're human beings, okay? And unless you just never leave the house or talk to anybody. 
at one point or another. You, you know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about the people, and I think you are too, who have kind of found it's a pattern for them. Okay. And what I say to people, you know, if, if you find that you are being taken advantage of on a constant and continual basis, remember, there's always one person involved with that every time, and that's you. So you're not being taken advantage of because you're a nice person or because you're a giver or because, no, you're being taken advantage of because you're doing things in a certain way that allow you to be taken advantage of. So if that's the case, just kind of get conscious about that. And when you find that happening, ask yourself, why is that happening? What did I do? What was my part in allowing that, you know, to happen? Where did I not set limits? Where did I not respect my own boundaries? It's because this is something you, you know, you, you, you cannot be taken advantage of like this, first of all, without your consent. Okay. I mean, on a certain level, we had to unconsciously give that person our consent to do that, but you cannot have a successful, sustainable business if that's happening. So no, we want, you want to learn how to, we always want to go about it with the idea that we're going to indeed focus on providing immense value as we can, understanding that that in no way means being taken advantage of. That's very powerful. You know, it, it really boils down to taking full responsibility for uh, the situation. Ah, uh, yep. Yep, and, absolutely. And- yeah, and, and extreme ownership and thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all right, mm-hmm. well, what, like being aware. And that's how we get better anyway. Like, that's always, always begins with awareness. 100%. Now, <laughs> right. one, one thing that I, my audience, uh, I preach to my audience a lot is uh, the power of having a mentor and why it's so important that you find a mentor. And I know that when we create relationships, we want them to feel win-win. Like you're, I'm getting something because you're helping me out tremendously in my life because you know you have the experience, you have the knowledge, but I may not have things to really provide to you or like I don't know what value I can provide to you. I want this to be a win-win relationship. Um, what would you say would be a good way to for a, a you know a mentee to provide value to a mentor? I think in most mentor-protege relationships, Greg, the, the mentor really, the, um, the reward or the value to the mentor is seeing their protege succeed and helping others to succeed. You know what I'm saying? So there's all types of, of receiving, okay? Obviously, when you, when, when you mentor someone, and I know at your young age, you're already mentoring people. And of course, we never stop learning. So you'll always have mentors and you'll always have protégés. And you want to teach them to always have mentors and always have protégés. And I have mentors and I have protégés, right? And so I think a lot of times because of the mentor, by the very nature of that kind of relationship is already, you know, kind of further down the line, um, they don't need, it's not that they need a, a, a monetary reward necessarily for it or, or uh, otherwise. Uh, but I think whenever we acknowledge that mentor, I think that makes them feel good and makes them feel as though it was worthwhile doing that. Uh, but there's also, you know, there's times when we end up being able to make connections for our mentors, uh, connecting them with a service or someone who could, could help them or what, you know, we can always keep our eyes and ears open. But I think the main thing as a protege is to is to respect your mentor by by listening, by asking thoughtful questions, by doing your homework, by do, you know what I'm saying and in 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 providing value 
that way. And then again, and then becoming a mentor to, to others. Cause most people who do mentor just, you know, it's a, it's a human thing. We all want to feel not all, but most want to feel as though they're leaving a legacy of knowledge and wisdom and adding value to the world by teaching the others who are coming up the line. Yeah. And one thing that I, even personally in my own life just seeing the struggle that I've overcome and seeing somebody else have that similar struggle and then helping them overcome yeah. it, uh-huh. there is, is nothing more fulfilling than that. Oh, like, wow. Exactly. Yeah. And we, re- and, and we need to be able to, as mentors, we need to be able to receive that good feeling and feel good about the fact that we helped, you know, someone else that we helped someone else learn from our experience instead of having to learn everything from their own experience. Yeah. So Bob, when, when did you first get like your first mentor? Where, like, what did they teach you? Um, like, what were some lessons that like you were, were you in your early twenties? What, what did that look like for you? Um, I think my first one, you know, outside my own family, because I mean, I, I was very lucky to have parents who to me, they mentored me just by getting to watch them and seeing what they did. And they, you know, filled me with good values. And, and uh, so I, that, you know, I think parenting is the most important mentorship at all of all, but I, I would say that other than as I was growing up, maybe coaches in certain areas or, or uh, such in sports, uh, my first mentor, I would say in the business world was a sales manager I had who really appreciated the fact that I was a student and knew that, you know, what he would teach me, I would listen to and that I would act upon. And he always said, you know, that I'm one of these people who just takes action on whatever he has said, which he always appreciated. So that was one mentor. And I, and by the way, I don't think a mentor necessarily, there are all different types of mentors. There are, first of all, there are the mentors that aren't even, uh, that we don't even know personally who we learn from just through reading and watching and so forth. They're materials. There are mentors from hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, like the Stoics that, you know, we can read Seneca and we can write. Okay. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, and Ryan is certainly one of the masters when it comes to understanding Stoicism and communicating it. Uh, uh, but you know, and, and, you know, when I consider one of my men, two of my mentors to be Benjamin Franklin and Booker T. Washington, you know, I read, I've read countless books on them and in articles and information and, and try to ask, you know, so what would they do? How would they handle it? and so forth? And there are, you know, again, many, many others. Then there are the mentors who, uh, we may not have them for a long time, but they, they're very helpful while we while we know them. And my sales manager was, was like that. Um, then there are drive-by mentors. And, and my friend Dondi Skumachi, who is one of my current mentors, she, she coined that term. And a, a, a drive-by mentor is someone who you don't necessarily really know. You, you may not never have met them before, or you may know them just through passing them in the hallways and saying hello. But they they shared one piece of wisdom with you that you just happened to be exactly ready for at that time, right? And you may never have seen them again or, you know, ever had any kind of a, a formal affiliation with them again. But that one piece of information, wow, what a difference it made. We call that a drive-by, you know, mentor. Wow, that's, that's, that's very powerful. Uh, wow. 
um i never really thought of it like that because i personally have had several of those in my life as well um wow it's very interesting (laughs) thank you yeah let me ask you man so when did you start to really think about the concepts of the go-giver like when did you start to think like wait these principles are, are working and like are very fulfilling at the same time what like when did you start to become aware of that did did someone did you read some books and you started seeing some patterns did uh, did you have a mentor or was it just awareness what was that like well i think the you know it was that drive by mentor who taught me a great lesson that when i think back to it probably led to the entire go-giver movement uh and this was back about 40 years ago that's how long ago it was and i'd been in sales for a couple of years and um, I had been doing pretty well. I'd, I'd studied sales and, and um, I'd learned it and I'd applied it and was, you know, again, doing pretty well. But I went to work for another company and we were selling a, a high ticket item and I was in a slump. I was really in a slump and uh, it was very uncomfortable as slumps usually are. And as often happens in a slump, I did the worst thing you can do. And that is really put all the focus on me and making the sale, right? Which again, the worst thing you could do. But I remember coming back to the office one day and I was very disgusted at myself after a non-sale, which really should have happened, but it was my own ineptitude uh, that made it so I, it, it did not. And this again, drive-by mentor, he was a guy who worked at the company, much older guy, probably my age now, but you know, back then I saw him as a much, much older guy. And um and I, and I think, and he wasn't even in the sales department, but he, uh, again, I didn't know him very well other than just, hi, how are you? And he was always a nice guy, very quiet, soft-spoken, but he was one of those guys who had a reputation as when he did say something, it was often very profound. And I think he, he pro, you know, looking back on it, he probably saw me as Joe in The Go-Giver, right? That young, ambitious, aggressive, really after it salesperson who was very frustrated because he was, his focus was not correct. And he was in a, you know, kind of a bad place. And so when he said to me, Berg, he was a last name kind of guy. He he said, Berg, can I give you some advice? And I said, yeah, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, and we can say, if you want to make a lot of money as an entrepreneur, Don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that's where it hit me, okay? Uh, That's where it hit me that great salesmanship is never about the salesperson, right? Uh, Great salesmanship is never about your product or your service, as important as those are. Great salesmanship is simply about the other person. It's about that person whose life you're trying to touch and make better through your product or service. It's about, it's about that person being better off just by having done business with you. 
when we understand that, now we're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. See, this is why John David Mann, my co-author, and I say that money is simply an echo of value, okay? Money is an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means the focus, just as my drive-by mentor told me, the focus must be on the value you're providing another human being. Remember, they're not buying for your reasons, right? They're buying for their reasons, which they should. So the focus is on them. Now, the, so the value comes first. The money you receive is simply a natural result of the value you've provided. Oh my God, man. You're really dropping some, some solid knowledge bombs here. Um, even one of my mentors is always telling me like, don't chase after the money, chase after the opportunity. Right. And also like always looking, even my grandmother's like always like, like give as much as you possibly can and sure. taking your money off of taking for, like the money and the money is a byproduct of the value that you create. That's definitely one of the laws. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a, I have a question uh, about stoicism. Like who, who who's, would you say is a stoic that you really, uh, you read a lot and you really resonate a lot with? Like I like Epictetus. Um, I'm actually just ordered Seneca's book, um, letters of letters from a stoic, but I want to know like what, books as far as stoicism really resonated a lot with you ah uh, gosh uh, you know i've got several of them i i love them all i mean i can't really you know uh look at one you know one book and i i love all the stoics i think marcus aurelius is my favorite um but you know th their wisdom is just so immense it's you, you can't even uh it's just mind blowing. You can pick up any of the books and you can start from anywhere and you can read a passage and you can just, you know, take that passage and just read it again and again and, and take something out of it and see how it absolutely relates to, to our current times. Yeah. One thing that I think is very powerful is the fact that these, these great philosophers lived thousands of years ago, you know, about 2000 years ago and how the Things that the experiences that they talk about in like life apply still like they're timeless. And one of my, you know, my business partners, she says that old is gold and, you know, something that stood the test of time is uh, like, there's really nothing like, well, you know, you, you, you think about it and, and I, I think you make a, a great point and it's really what we're talking about is human nature and human nature by the very definition okay means that it's nature it's natural to us it's 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 who we are and so human nature doesn't change robert green just wrote a what he published a couple of years ago his newest book which is called uh, human nature and did a you know what i and if you ever read any of robert green's books i mean he does a masterful job in his research and telling stories around it and he, oh, it's always a, a great read and, you know, he points out certain aspects of human nature. Uh, they don't change. They don't change. Things can change, okay? Uh, and they do all the time. But human nature doesn't. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll go take it a step further. It's why I believe that the study of human nature is one of the most important things that any entrepreneur, any young entrepreneur can do. Because remember, Everything we do is about dealing with other human beings. I, I, you can't do, do anything without 
you have to be able to serve other human beings in order to make those value-based exchanges with them, okay? So it figures if everything is about dealing with humans, it means our success uh, and, you know, success in terms of financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational, whatever, everything has to do with understanding human nature, okay? So the study of human nature is absolutely vital. Now, we also have to be really willing to understand our own nature. We need to be able to identify our strengths. We need to be able to identify our weaknesses and acknowledge them, okay? And uh, you know, you're, you're a great help with that because as a mentor to so many people, you're able to help people with that. Now, sometimes it can be more difficult to acknowledge our strengths because as human beings, we all see the world through our own eyes, through our own prism, sometimes prison, okay? But, you know, we, we operate from our own set of beliefs. Uh, and uh, it's difficult for us to really recognize those strengths because we just say, well, that, but that's just how life is. Everybody can do that. Everybody has it, right? Because we, if we can, well, everybody else must also. We see the world through our own eyes and tend to think other people's experiences are the same and they're not necessarily at all. So sometimes it's very difficult to, to acknowledge and celebrate our own strengths, but we need to lead with those strengths. Now, it's also important to understand our weaknesses, and that's where ego comes into play and where we need to get past that and, um, and, and be able to acknowledge those. Now, there are some weaknesses. I, I see weaknesses as, as three separate types. There are the weaknesses that we can just simply ignore, okay? Uh, it's just not important. For example, uh, I am not good at running long distances. That's a weakness. Uh, but since I'm 62 years old and have no desire to run a marathon, that's a weakness I will absolutely ignore. Okay, it changes nothing about you know. <laughs> okay, now there are now there are then there are weaknesses that need to be mitigated. Okay, so on a personal level, for example, uh, I love junk food and I do not like exercising. That is a bad combination. That is a, that is a weakness that needs to be mitigated, okay? So what I do is I, you know, I hired a trainer and uh, for the last 10 years, she comes to my house five mornings a week. She trains me. We don't go crazy with it, but she trains me. So I'm able to, and she prepares all my meals for the day that I just have to heat up and so forth, okay? Now that's something I do to mitigate the fact that without her, I wouldn't work out. And in my younger days, I would have without that accountability, but I know myself better now as I've gotten older, without that accountability, I wouldn't work out and I'd probably eat a lot more junk food. So while I'm not a, a health fanatic, and I mean fanatic in a good way in this case, while I'm not a health fanatic, I'm fairly healthy because I've created that context for that to happen. I've mitigated, I don't keep Oreo cookies in the house. Because if I did, I would eat them. Doesn't mean I never have Oreo cookies, but it means I have to make the effort to get in my car, go to the store, pick up the Oreos, bring them back. You know what I'm saying? So there's some weakness. Now, uh, on a business level, I'm not really good with numbers. Uh, accounting and bookkeeping and those sort of things are not my strength. Now, um, I'll never be an accountant, but I learned enough to be able to mitigate that weakness. So at least when I have hired people to do my books, I know what to look for. I know what I'm looking at. You know what I'm saying? So that again, that's mitigation. Then there are the, the weaknesses 
we need to turn into strengths. Because if we don't, we will never be as effective as we could be. Uh, I suffered with, you know, anger issues for a long time in my life, okay? Uh, and I realized that was something I needed to really work on and needed to turn into a strength. One of the best books I ever read for turning weaknesses into strengths was uh, Benjamin Franklin. I mentioned him earlier, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography and his chapter on the um, 13... Um, Oh, I can't think of, not attributes. I can't think of the, the, the 13 virtues. Okay. And it, where he has a system for taking your biggest weaknesses and turning them into strengths. And I did that with anger. I did that with gossip. I did that with lack of gratitude. I did that with, and I had several, I had 13 traits I felt I needed to, to work on. And once I was able to turn those that made me less effective into things that made me more effective, my life just turned around. Okay. So again, there was, a, so we need to understand our weaknesses and we need to be able to deal effectively with our ego to be able to acknowledge those. And we also need to understand and accept and embrace our, our strengths. Wow. I've never heard weaknesses broken down uh, like that. Um, Bob, you know, uh, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to, to come out here today and provide some tremendous amount of value in, in, within 30 minutes time. Uh, where can people find more information on, um, on you and, and what you do within the Goal Giver series? Uh, the best place to go to is Berg, and that's B-U-R-G dot com. And when they go to the website, there are lots of resources there they can check out, such as my blog, which is mostly videos now. Uh, some courses and some, uh, and of course my books are there where they can um, uh, read an excerpt or chapter one to see if they like them first. And they can always click through to Amazon for whatever ones they would, uh, they would like. So yeah, berg.com would be the best place. Excellent. Well, Hey man, uh, very much appreciated for you taking the time to come out here today. All right, everybody talk to you soon.